Hey everybody, it's great to have you back. This is Jared here, your favorite DM, and we're ready to start Season 2 here at The Usual Time D&D. We hope you all had as much fun as we did playing through the Minds of Phandelver starter pack. We've really learned a lot, and we hope to continue improving the show as things go along. We're going to be doing things a little bit differently for Season 2. I'm starting to write some of my own content, and to kick things off, we're going to have a solo session from each of your favorite players. Shadow, Hoyt, and Luna are each going to have their own solo session to kick off Season 2, and after each session they're going to give you a little bit of insight on their character and how they're playing it, as well as any other juicy details they feel like sharing. Now begins the final installment of Hoyt's solo adventure. I'm not going to lie, Hoyt thought that the skeletons went down pretty easy, so he's going to start thinking that maybe these zombies aren't so bad. He's going to straight up just walk into the zombie room and be like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm murking these guys too. Okay. Um, Hopefully. Initiative. Hopefully. Uh, 13. Alright. This is a terrible, terrible mistake. <laughs> uh, you are again first. Do I see one that has a familiar dagger in it? You do! That's my bitch. Alright. You can make your way at it. Uh, will I reach it? Yeah, you've got full movement, so... All right, it's getting stabbed. Sure, stab stab away. Stabby stab. I roll a 17. That'll hit. Six damage. Uh, So you slice at this thing, and you're able to slice its head clean off, and its body falls in them. Um, Its head keeps kind of like the jaw is moving on it, but it can't move or anything. With... My second, or my bonus action attack, I want to kick its torso in anger. (laughs) You are able to do so. It is completely limp and uh, is not moving. Ah, And then I turn around and I look at this other one and I just wait and turn. Okay. Uh, The other one will shamble towards you. Um, It... Let's see. Tell me it doesn't make it to me. (laughs) It does not make it to you because it was on the other side of the room when you entered. So it's about half the distance it was from you now. Okay. 20 feet, give or take. I. Is there any more space between myself and the wall behind me or wherever? No, you're you're currently up against the north wall of this room. I really wanted to have like another turn where I could just lean up and be like, I'm waiting. It's fine. Um. (laughs) I mean, I go to it then. Sure. <laughs> you make it no problem. And I And I roll a 22. Hits. Oh, that's a tiny number. Plus three. Four damage. Okay. You take a slice at this thing and do some damage. Anything else on your turn? Yeah, let's get in the second dagger, too. Okay. Ooh, that's a 17. Hits. For four damage. Okay. So you slice at this thing with both your daggers and both find purchase. In response, this thing is going to attack at you and will hit. Good. I want it to at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You will take... Three damage. Uh Uh-huh. And it will end its turn. Uh, I'm going to be still going right now. Ooh, tiny number 12. 12. Still hits. Damn it. Four damage. (laughs) Okay. 
Second attack. Ooh, nine. Nine still hits. Woo! Okay. Four damage. Jesus. In response, it will swipe at you with its handy hands and will miss your turn. I attack. Uh, 15. That'll hit. I bet you do four damage. Four damage! <laughs> okay. First attack, I can only roll one. Second attack, I can only roll four. It's clearly a pattern. Uh, second attack. Oh, here we go. Nat one. Oh, uh, you go to attack, and um, it's able to swipe the the dagger from your hand as you attempt to, to attack. It goes cl- clattering on the floor and, and away from you. I'm super concerned that it's broken, because this is important, but end turn anyways. Uh-huh. It will make another swiping attack at you. This one will hit. You take five damage. Well, that's not very nice. Point starting to regret this decision. I have one dagger, so I'll attack with that. Mm-hmm. That's a 16. That'll uh, hit. Okay, prepare for the four damage, probably. Oh, hold on. Five damage. Oh, um, so you strike this thing, um, and it looks like it's going to go down. And... It stumbles backwards for a bit, but stays on its feet. Okay. Can I try to kick it like I did the last one? And I don't know, either sure, like roll push it away roll or something. Create <laughs> some kind of situation. Improvised uh, weapon, so it'll right. be one. That's 21. That'll hit. Good. Kick um, it. And was that a nat 20 plus one or anything? No, it was a 16 plus... Five. Five. Okay. So you'll kick it, and it'll go stumbling backwards, and uh, it won't fall over and stays on its feet, but it is now about ten feet away from you. Okay. Um, I'm gonna Anything else on your turn? Distance myself away from it a smidge. Okay. Like approximately 25 feet. Sure, you can do that. <laughs> uh, and then turn. All right, it will move towards you on its turn and isn't able to reach you, and it will end its turn. I will do whatever process gets me back to the other dagger to grab it and pick it up. Okay, Um, you'll have to get within its attack range to do so, but you're able to do so. How far away is the dagger from me? The zombie is basically right on top of it now. Oh, it's on top of the dagger? Son of a... Not, not like standing on it, but it's, it's right next to it. Can I maneuver around the room enough so that it will chase me in subsequent turns, eventually having it not be on top of the dagger and get to the dagger? I get what you're getting at, and yes. Skip ahead a couple turns because it'll be boring yeah. to play out, but yes, you're able to do that. Right, that. Um, so I arrive at this dagger and pick it up. Yep. And... Um, I guess I'll, for the sake of mechanics, uh, keep my distance from it with both of my daggers and and my turn. Okay. Um, It will move to attack, but won't be able to reach you. And then I will engage with both daggers and attack. Mm -hmm. First attack. 18. Hits. Five damage. Okay. This thing, you slice it. 
and it stumbles backwards, and this time it falls on its back and does not get back up. I want to run up to it and with my second attack kick the side of its head in a jarring fashion like I'm punting it. <laughs> you uh, you do that and you connect with its rotting flesh and its head just kind of like explodes and you send viscera going off in the direction of your kick. And now your, your foot's kind of gooey. Good. I wipe it on the floor <laughs> angrily a little bit. You're out of turn based. I look at the pedestal in this room. Does it the look pedestal, interesting? The um, pedestal is fixed to the floor. It's carved from solid stone. It's got a depression in the top where a orb would be sat. Uh, other than that, it is not interesting. Okay, I've never moved through this room except for speedily, so I guess I'm going to take time to actually look around at it since. <laughs> Sure. Um, it's, this room once, so. it's kind of similar to the the previous room. It's um, it's got some tapestries depicting some of Zaz's various campaigns um, with other nations. Nothing that particularly draws your interest. And there's uh, there's also some various weapons on the wall, like for show, uh, like some halberds and spears and such. Nothing. Nothing that probably would spark your interest. Those don't help me. I go into the room with the teleportation circle and I grab Uh the orb. You take it off the pedestal? Yep. As you touch it and remove it from the pedestal, uh, as soon as it leaves the pedestal, you find yourself in a similar looking room without a teleportation circle on the floor. Uh, but there is a orb in the pedestal and a glyph on the wall. And an orb in your hand, of course. Grab the orb out of this pedestal. Uh, so that weird thing happens again where you feel like you were teleported, but you're like still standing in the same spot. Your, your consciousness kind of just goes blank for a second, and then you catch yourself almost off balance. I take both orbs, and I go to the statue. Uh-huh. I raise them up to the statue's face and be like, what do you want from me? (laughs) Nothing happens. I take the satchel from my waist, I open it, and Uh one of my hands with the orb in it, I push it through the ring and wave Uh it around on the other side. Uh, you, You feel another hand kind of just like push your hand back in through the circle and then you see a, a hand pushing yours like through and then it disappears as it withdraws back through the, the teleportation circle and then if you if you like look through it after that you you see him like looking into it and just waving his finger back and forth <laughs> you son of a bitch I very rude gesture towards him um, <laughs> involving one finger on my hand. And uh, I go over to one of the piles of bone dust and I just start throwing it into the bag. <laughs> okay. And before he can do anything to stop it, I close it then and uh, put it back in my waist. <laughs> okay. So that if he even tries to throw it back through, it'll just perpetually fall back through. <laughs> Keep falling in. Uh-huh. Okay. 
I go back into the room that has the thingy uh, or the pedestal in the wall that doesn't have the circle because I should yes. join to this. I go in there, and the glyph on the, the there's a glyph on the wall here. I want to touch the glyph. You touch the glyph and it glows a bright blue for about ten seconds and then it goes dark. I stop and I think about things and then I grab the satchel off of my waist again and I open it and I open it up away from me so in case bone dust comes shooting <laughs> out of it it doesn't go all over me. Uh huh. So I'll wait for that and then I'll peek inside and then like hold the bag so that it looks towards the glyph. Uh huh. And wait like. 10 seconds, and then look in the bag. Uh-huh. What do I see? Uh, you see Hamankor kind of staring back at you, and he smiles and waves. I show it back towards the glyph for like five seconds, and then uh-huh. look at it again. He's still just giving you a creepy smile and kind of shrugging. I confuse Travolta. So does he. Son of a bitch, this guy's the worst! Oh, I thought Droop was bad. I would kill for Jupe right now. Um, <laughs> I put an orb inside this pedestal. In the pedestal? Sure, yeah, you can do that. It does whatever it did, and then I need to go back, and I'm going to get back to the teleportation circle room. Yep. And I want to put the orb in that one, too, and then I want to show him the circle, and I'm going to walk all around it, showing every single glyph in this uh-huh. circle, and then look at him again. Uh, he, he gives you a thumbs up after the teleportation circle. And then I show him the glyph on the wall and the orb and the glyph and the pedestal with the orb in it and then the glyph and then the circle and then I look at him. He'll, he'll put a hand through and start pointing in the direction of the glyph. Uh Uh-huh. I go Uh that way. Uh Uh-huh. And he'll... I hold his hand up to the glyph. He'll he'll do the number two, and then he'll point at the glyph, and then he'll do the number two again, and point at the glyph, and then two, and then the glyph. Two glyph. I put the number two with my fingers, and I touch the glyph with both my fingers. It glows blue for about ten seconds, and then <laughs> goes dark. I look back at his hand. Uh, <laughs> Is he still he's, doing? Yeah, he's... He, he points at the glyph and he says does a two and then two. points at the glyph two glyphs two chalices how big is this circle the circle in the bag uh it's about a foot in diameter i slap his hand so that he'll recoil it and i put the bag over my head <laughs> okay uh well i mean you can just take the ring out and put your head in it i guess or that uh-huh. I think it's funnier to think of a bag being over my head. <laughs> sure. Your, your head is now on Hamankor's table. I'm just gonna look around until I find him and be like, YOU! What do I do? Uh, Fix he, this! He'll say, um... Well, this is unexpected, but, uh, I, I think you need to activate both glyphs. At the same time? Well, yeah. How?! Hmm. He scratches his head for a minute. I don't know. Have you found anything else there? I've killed some things. Ah, damn it. You were supposed to do this stealthily. Then I stop and I think about it. And I say, wait. You might not be as dumb as you look. And I pull my head out of the bag. (laughs) Okay. 
and I close the bag before he can retribute at all. And okay, with both orbs in where they are, uh -huh. I'm gonna touch the glyph, pick the orb up off the pedestal, which should, if I'm correct in what happens, take me to the other room with the orb in it. It does. And I'm gonna touch the glyph there, and then pull the orb off of that pedestal, which I think take me back to the room with the teleportation circle. It doesn't because you have an orb in your hand now, so it, it teleports you to the same location. So, okay, so I touched the glyph in the teleportation circle room, removed the orb, and it took me to the other room where yep. because I had an orb in my hand, it didn't teleport me. It won't teleport you back to the other. The, here's the mechanics on the orb. It activates when it's in the pedestal and it's touched. When you remove it, it teleports you to the other orb, wherever that is. Son of a bitch. So I need to do this in the other order. So ah, I put the, or <laughs> the, the orb back in this pedestal. I make my way back to the teleportation circle room. I put the orb in that pedestal. Then I go back to the room with the other orb. And then I touch the glyph and I pick the orb out of that one, which takes me back to the teleportation circle where I can touch the glyph there. <laughs> so you get back to the room with the teleportation circle in it and you immediately touch the glyph on the wall and as you do the teleportation circle lights up a brilliant shade of blue I like react to the exploding and like plaster myself to the wall and when I see it's doing something I just like sink down to the floor and sit there like <laughs> Magic is the worst. <laughs> and then I stop, and I'm going to sit there for like two minutes and just collect my thoughts and hope that the circle doesn't stop glowing, and then I'll stand up and I'll just be like, all right, whatever's next, and I jump into the circle. All right. So you jump into this teleportation circle, and as your feet connect with the glowing runes on the ground, um, you are again teleported to a new location. This one you've never seen before. In this room, you find piles and piles of treasure on one side, and on the other side, you see six pedestals. On each pedestal is a different relic. Um, each of them looks looks completely different from the last. Um, there's various urns, vases. Um, Ooh, not a vase, but a vase. Gold, golden orbs and one particular golden pyramid with a red ruby on top of it. Are there any doors in and out of this room? No, there is no in entrance or exit spare a teleportation circle on the ground. Okay, how many pedestals did you say there were? There are six of them. I'm going to open up the bag, look through to see if I see him, uh -huh. and systematically go to every single pedestal except for the one that I know he wants to look at. Okay. And show him them and see what he does. Uh, he just shakes his head at each one. Fine. I get to the one that he wants last, and I show him that. He nods. And uh, I like look at him like, okay, give it. So he he motions for you to, to bring the ring down over top of this thing. I'm like, of course, I do so. Okay. As you do so, uh, the, the pyramid on top of the pedestal disappears as you pass the ring over it. You wait several seconds and withdraw it, and everything looks the exact same as it did. 
Um, looking back through the ring, you'll see him give you the uh, universal sign of a agreement, which is thumbs up. even in <laughs> Beirut, a thumbs up. <laughs> and uh, he he gives you the other sign, which which means move your ass. The teleportation circle you'll notice is still lit. Oh. So I start towards the circle, and then I look back towards the other pedestals. Uh-huh. And I think long and hard uh-huh. about what's going on here. And then I shake my head and be like, no, nah, I, I want done with this entire thing. I, I jump <laughs> into the circle. Okay. You're, you're teleported to a familiar room. It's oh, a what? room teleportation circle, a pedestal, and a glyph on the wall. Uh, now you'll notice, however, that the teleportation circle beneath you is no longer active. So... Are the orbs still here? Yes, the uh, the one was still in your possession after you used it to teleport to this room, and the other one is still in the pedestal. I grab them both. Sure, you can take both of them with you. I go back. As you as door. you grab it, you, you just have that familiar weird feeling where you kind of like blank out for a second and then lose your balance. Right, 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 right. I uh, I go back to the door that's supposed to yep. get me out of here. You open the door, and behind it, you see a familiar dining room with a very long table. I go in immediately and shut the thing behind me. At the end of the table, you'll see Haman Kor, who is giving you a gradual slow clap. He'll greet you and say, well, it wasn't quite stealthy as I would have hoped, but you did what I asked. And that's all I could have uh, wished for. You're a real bastard. You know that? Uh, I do, I do. But uh, unfortunately, it couldn't be helped this time. But let me tell you, dear boy, you have helped me immensely. I believe that there were uh, things that we had agreed upon. Please, please, come come closer. Uh, before that happens, uh, what were the other things on the pedestals in that room? He'll scratch his chin and say, well, you probably won't remember this anyway, knowing you, so let me just tell you. <laughs> Zaztam has many liches in his employ. Uh, there are six of us that are more highly regarded than all the rest. Each of those six items was a phylactery for our souls. And you, dear boy, have helped me gain access to my own. Uh-huh. What does that mean? I could go into the details, but I dare say it would bore you terribly. Well, we've already passed that threshold, so... Yeah, okay. What's going on here now? Come closer. We'll we'll remove the shackles from your wrist, and then I have something else that I, I would do for you. I approach very cautiously. All right. Uh, as you approach, you get about 10 feet away, and he'll say, uh, pull back your sleeves. I do. All right. Well, I guess I take off my wrist wraps, because that's what I got. Sure. But whatever. Uh, he snaps his fingers and you see the snakes on the tattoo kind of just like unwind and then they slither out to the tips of your fingers and disappear i look at them and i turn my hands over and i look at them I'm like so 
are they gone or just not visible? They're they're gone, and truth be told, they didn't really do much to begin with. Yeah. It was mostly just a way for me to keep closer tabs on you, but uh, okay. I dare say in all the time that's passed since I last saw you, I no longer have need of them. Thanks, that's flattering. Mm-hmm, certainly, certainly. So, uh, on to the other matter at hand. So, I promised I'd do you a solid, didn't I? Uh, you said you'd tell me something about me that I didn't know already. Uh, yeah, something like that. If you would be so kind, dear boy, please hand me the daggers that you keep at your back and guard so closely. I very defensively step away and say, why? Oh, please, you will get them back very shortly. But why? All in good time. I'd rather not see you touch them at all. What you carry on your back are no mere daggers. I intend to unlock their true power for you since you've helped me so greatly. If you would allow me to do so, we can have done with this. I'll, uh, say okay. <laughs> and I guess I, I take them out and I'll, like, flip them around in my hands so I'm holding the blades and I'll hand them to him so he's got the handles. You will take them and one in each hand and inspect them closely and, you know, show off a little bit, do a little twirling. And he'll say, uh, as I suspected, you probably have no idea the relics you've been carrying with you. Allow me to, and he kind of trails off as he is lost in thought. And then all of a sudden you see, like, He's channeling magic into these blades, and there's just these like red sparks growing around his arms, and they begin to funnel into the blades themselves, and the blades start shining just a brilliant shade of red, like molten metal, and these sparks are shooting out the ends of them, and gradually this this dies down, and once it's finally over with, he'll uh, he'll flip them back over and grab them by the blades and hand them back to you and say. You'll find these to be much more useful now. As your power grows, so shall theirs. These daggers are a pair, the Moonblade and the Starblade, crafted eons ago by elven sages wielding powerful magic. How they came to be in your possession must surely be fate. Uh-huh. So I'm, like, almost kind of afraid to touch them. Do they look different? Uh, you'll notice that each blade has a rune on the blade itself near the hilt now. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll grab him. Okay. Uh, you do so. And I do whatever you want with him from there. Put them back into my... Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. At that, he will say, uh, Well, my dear boy, it's certainly past your bedtime. I think you must be going. You have much more rest to do before you and your companions wake. Should our paths cross again, let us meet as allies. Perhaps by then, even as equals. Come, let me show you the door. And he'll take you back to the door that you first entered through. Um, I'm going to point it and be like, oh, oh, th this, this door? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he'll open it and say, please, right this way. And uh, show you the, the way with his hand. As in, get the fuck out of my castle. Right. Uh... <laughs> I will do so. 
So you pass through this door and it's looking out onto this balcony where you started from. And as soon as you pass through the doorway, instead of the balcony, you find yourself in just a just darkness, basically. And you still have light coming from behind you. And if you look behind you for a brief instant, you see him smile and give you a quick wave and he shuts the door behind you. And then you find yourself back in nothingness. Uh, time once again seems lost to you and you, you drift aimlessly through the blackness unaware of anything happening beyond what's in your own head. Suddenly you wake up in a bed in unfamiliar surroundings and uh, you're kind of just stuck there and looking around you see that there are needles in your arms with tubes running out of them going to strange machines and bandages covering your whole body. And looking around, you see your companions are around you all in similar states. Thank you for listening to the third installment of the... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on now. Where are we? <laughs> hey everyone, it's Casey, uh, the voice behind Hoyt. Um, just gonna take this opportunity right away to give you guys a quick little shout-out. Thanks, uh, thanks for all the viewers well, listeners out there, uh, we really appreciate you listening to this podcast that we're making. Uh, we know it's a little rough around the edges and stuff. Uh, I'll take a pretty heavy amount of uh, fault for that uh, with the season one, but we're, we're figuring it out, and I'm thinking, thinking come season two we're really going to have something that's a little bit higher in quality and better for your uh, listening pleasure. <laughs> Um, but enough of that. Let's 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 talk about Hoyt and get into what exactly is going on inside his head. Um, so first, a little more on Hoyt's backstory. Um, I know you guys got a little bit of that in my character intro way back, however long ago that was. But uh, so Hoyt's born and raised, uh, well, raised on his own in Neverwinter, never met his parents, pretty much just grew up on the streets and made a living however he could. Um, this did involve uh, theft and such, he basically was a pickpocket and street urchin, but he, Hoyt's what I liked, I, I went into the designing of Hoyt and thinking, what is, like, the cliche, like, neutral character. I mean, I can't really call him neutral neutral because, yeah, he's got to steal stuff, but it's pretty darn close. Uh, he's the closest thing to, like, a country bumpkin that you can almost kind of think of. He's never been outside of this town where he has scrounged on the streets and just made his way however he's had to before, which has left him kind of jaded against the higher class, uh, folk and uh, hating them for the most part and bluntly so uh he's Hoyt's very judgmental he's quick to judge uh and he's instinctual he trusts his instincts about people and that's why as you guys have sort of seen in season one he's a little timid about some of his companions uh so let's just do a let's go down let's go down the line uh so, Shadow, Shadow's probably the one that Hoyt minds the least. Uh, it, he's a little overbearing with his uh, happy-go-lucky, always positive demeanor, but 
Hoi can get over that easy enough, and in the end, Shadow doesn't seem to have any misaligned intentions or any secrets of any sort, at least that Hoyt cares about. Uh, I don't know that Shadow's capable of keeping a secret, he just opens his mouth about everything, but <laughs> it's it's entertaining for what it is, and probably Shadow's the, the go-to guy that Hoyt would ever want to do anything with. Luna, on the other hand, Luna, Luna, Luna. Hoyt's confused as all get out about Luna. Um, so, the way I designed the character was I'm, he hasn't really seen all that many people, especially nice looking girls, so I decided he was going to be rather cute around girls, which I'm sure you guys probably caught on to that maybe early on in season one when they first met, that Hoyt was super, super awkward. Here comes this pr pretty girl that's supposed to go out into the world and help deliver stuff on a cart. It just, it doesn't seem a job for her that she should be, I mean, not to say it, but in, in at home or something, doing something that way. I mean, Hoyt's conceptions of, you know, sexual stratification. Yeah, it's there. Uh, he, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so here comes this girl who's pretty darn cute as far as Hoyt's concerned and then she's just not what he thinks girls should be. She's quick to go into a fight. Uh, she's just got this hoity-toity demeanor about her that makes him think of uh, people that are of a higher class and just Hoyt's really jaded about how Luna acts and she... He, just she's happy she doesn't mind killing anything which is one of the huge things that I wanted Hoyt to be because having never really left Neverwinter he's never been in a fight that much outside of just little scrum in the streets so when Hoyt had to claim a life for the first time even if it was just a, the, the goblins that they encountered on the side of the street it it impacted him it was it was a tough situation which I think is makes him a little more relatable to something in the real world around us. I mean, there aren't that many people that are just willy-nilly, whatever, murder, it's fine. Meh. <laughs> um, that being said, Hoyt's not without his own sort of prejudices, and that, that for the most part is the reason why he's so uncomfortable around Troop. I mean, everything that Hoyt's ever heard is that these goblins, they prey upon people on the road, and they take out caravans and stuff, and uh, it's just, it's outside of Hoyt's comfort zone, and if I'm being completely honest, it might have a little bit to do with the fact that me, Casey, doesn't like Droop, and it's telegraphed into my character a bit. Maybe a little. Okay, kind of a lot. But it is what it is. <laughs> um, and then we have Gundren. I mean, Gundren's... Gundren's basically the only father figure that Hoyt's ever had, and that's only by sheer happenstance of he happened to bail Hoyt out of a tricky situation one time in Neverwinter, and since then they've been the best of buds. So it's almost more like friendship father, but it's the only dad that Hoyt knows, and um, that actually deals with a lot of uh, Hoyt's backstory as well, and brings into something that you learned and heard more about in this past episode and that's these special daggers that Hoyt has so Hoyt uh one night in Neverwinter witnessed uh this noble this nobility looking fellow who was a traveler uh get murdered and mugged in the street 
but before he went down, he, he dealt enough damage to his assailants that they went off running. And Hoyt, thinking the guy was dead um, or dying, approached and just... I mean, he didn't really care all that much, but he's not all about just letting people die. So, looking into it, this guy, basically, with his dying breath, just took these daggers and thrust them into Hoyt's hands and was like, go into the world and do what you deem is good with these. And that's kind of the moral dilemma that Hoyt's at, because he's basically just hidden these since then, because Hoyt's, Hoyt's never thought that he's ever going to have a quest. He grows up, he's just a street urchin. He... What kind of adventure is he possibly going to have? He's basically like the Bilbo Baggins of uh, <laughs> of Neverwinter. And he just, all of a sudden, there's just this thing laid in his lap and just this potential for a quest to happen and go on and make whatever he wants of himself, which is probably the only reason why he really actually decided to do this favor for Gundren. Uh, is because it finally an opportunity presented himself to, to leave and go see the world, and he's now equipped for it. He's not just going out empty-handed with nothing to possibly find himself with. But that's kind of how uh, how I'm looking at Hoyt. And you'll, you'll see uh, in Season 2, there's a whole lot of more developments that Hoyt's going to get into with a lot of his companions, and he's going to discover himself a little bit more, and... It gets a little interesting. There's going to be some multi-classing going on, but I'm not going to spoil anything. You're going to have to listen, pay attention, find out which direction Hoyt's going with. But for the most part, everything from here on out is is just Hoyt constantly being molded by his experiences and developing this relationship with these daggers and finding out what kind of mysteries exactly are hidden within these blades that, according to this Red Wizard, are super fantastic. Uh, because, as we well know, Hoyt has no concept of magic whatsoever. It's beyond him in every way, shape, and form. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just... that That's kind of a little bit more background and a little bit inside the mind of Hoyt. I know I've talked with a couple of you folks uh, who are listening and just kind of thrown out there like where I'm at with how I'm playing the character. And hopefully this kind of just solidifies some of the ways the decisions I make for Hoyt and how I play him and just can get you a little more inside the understanding um again I, I want to say thanks just for listening I, it's so different uh I, this is actually like my first campaign where I'm actually a player usually I'm behind the screen DMing so uh it's it's been a challenge uh not you know being in control of everything I I'm a little bit of a micromanaging type fellow uh <laughs> but uh, I'm adapting. I'm enjoying it. Hoyt's, Hoyt's my first character. Um, he's super interesting, um, and it's it's difficult to play someone who's kind of a little less smart. So I mean, it's it's challenge, but I'm I'm up for it. I'm hoping you guys are enjoying it. Uh, I want to congratulate and thank and praise my companions on this, uh, Andrew and Jared and Tyler. Uh, they put so much work into this uh tyler with his editing of about like the first two-thirds ish of season one and then andrew took over and he's he's putting his nice little flair on that and it's it's developing into something that we're we're pretty happy with uh not sure how much exposure it's necessarily getting but you know maybe we'll get there maybe we won't we're having fun with it we know certain people that are 
listening and they're enjoying it. So, I mean, at least there's someone out there. So, uh, again, just thanks. Uh, and hold on to your seats because season two, whew, she's going to she's gonna be a little slow, but once it takes off, it, it takes off. <laughs> um, in the meantime, you know what time it is.